You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Inflation, recession, stagflation. Just what the hell is going on? Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to another Real Vision podcast. So, what the hell is going on? We all want to know. Here at Real Vision, we've debuted a special series called Global Recession. Is everyone wrong? We've called on the world's best experts, including Juliette de Klerk, David Rosenberg, Peter Zion, Pierre Andoran, and many more, to try and help us make sense of things. These real experts will be giving Real Vision members in-depth, long-form analysis on the real stuff that's happening. Best of all, you can get access to all 14 days of Global Recession, Is Everyone Wrong?, for just $1. Yep, $1. So head to realvision.com slash global recession. That's realvision.com slash global recession to join us on this epic two-week journey of discovery. Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, May 12, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Imran Laka, founder of Options Insight. Lots to talk about today, lots to cover. Uh, most major U.S. equity indices pretty much flat on the day. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average off four-tenths of 1%. Uh, but also, lots happening in the cryptocurrency complex. More than 15% of the crypto market cap evaporating overnight. That's more than $200 billion uh, disappearing in one day. Significant liquidations. We're going to cover all of that in the back half of the show. Uh, but first, I want to welcome Imran and talk a little bit about what's happening in markets and macro. Imran, welcome back to Real Vision. Pleasure to have you. Hey, Ash. Good to, good to chat to you, mate. So we have lots of charts I know uh, to look at. But before we jump in and start uh, going through those, give us the big picture, 50,000 feet. Where are we right now? So obviously, you know, equities have been going through a bit of um, risk off liquidation. Um, and for me, you know, the, the big theme this week has been the flipping correlation between bonds and equity. So we've had, we've had an environment where obviously the Fed turned very hawkish, uh, trying to get inflation under control. They had a political mandate from Biden to do that. Uh, and basically that move in yields was driving tech stocks in particular down. And it was taking equities lower, right? And it's only, only recently that as we started to see commodities roll over, as we've seen the problems with China, China lockdowns and things like that, and a real concern that we might be going into a global recession in the not too distant future, all of a sudden now equities are starting to accelerate to the downside, breaking some very important levels like 4,000 on the S&P. And whilst they're doing that, you're now starting to get a bid come back to bonds. So when bonds are leading the way down, you had this this positive correlation between the two. But now if equities are the one that's leading us down because it's growth concerns, then bonds are going to go the other way and catch a bid. And that's what we've really seen this week. And I think that's the real sort of inflection point in markets. Yeah, very well said, Imran, and very well framed. Just to put some data points around this for people who aren't following it as closely as you are, uh, S&P 500 closing out the day here at 3,930, uh, down fractionally. Uh, on the day, about a tenth of a percent. And exactly as you say, Imran, uh, below that key psychological level of 4,000. Year-to-date basis, that's off 18% or thereabout. Uh, 
one year change minus 4%. That's going back a period of uh, 12 months. But I also want to call out NASDAQ composite here uh, off roughly 28% on the year. Uh, as you pointed to, Imran, the sell off in tech stocks, uh, 12 month change minus 13.5%. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, the um, the sort of trades that I mean, retail have really been getting killed, right? So ARK is obviously down way more than the NASDAQ. And, um, you know, we've got a chart, Brian, if you if you've got it there, where you can superimpose the performance of ARK on the NASDAQ from from 2000, right? And, and when that bubble burst, and it's just it's uncanny how well it's tracking it, right? It's, it's really, really tracking it very closely. And, um, and this is something Julian Brigden has been talking about, right on your show. Um, yeah that this is this is how he sees it right and that's why he saw downside in arc i think his target was about 35 dollars, and we printed that today right in arc so we've hit his target I, I i doubt he's stepping in and buying it you'll have to ask him but uh it's definitely been a bit of a retail flush out there uh, and we've been seeing that across you know meme stocks uh your amc type stocks we've been seeing that across arc stocks uranium tesla crypto anything that retail's been involved in is to see it, that's where the epicenter of the pain has been basically right and um i think in the super short term we're probably a bit overdone um that's what it feels like to me and i've got a few right. various reasons for thinking that we can talk about when we talk about crypto yeah. um but yeah you know there's some i think jp morgan put out a chart saying how the um they try to track the pnl of of the retail trading that's been going on since 2020 since the start of that year and whilst they were up pretty heavy, you know, in the first sort of year of that, they've given it all back, basically, right? So retail are underwater. In the last three days, you've seen a lot of retail liquidation going on. And now it does very much have that sense of a flush out. Um, whilst we may still go lower in equities um, as, as the market reprices in the growth scenario, you know, over the next few months, um, I just think the next week or two, the trade is probably to be on the buy side. Right. That's, that's that's how I see it. You know, Emran, lots of important points that you just made there uh, for people who are brave enough to buy. The name of the game is called Catch a Falling Knife. Uh, you mentioned ARC at the top of your remarks. Uh, ARC right now uh, looks like uh, thirty eight ninety nine uh, closing out the day uh, up uh, a bit, as you say. Uh, by the way, um, we also uh, have these numbers here, which are pretty dismal uh, year to date minus basically 60 percent. Uh, trailing 12-month change on ARC, minus 62.5%. Yeah, but the, the risk-reward isn't to buy things like ARC outright because whilst they can have a 20 30% bounce, they could also evaporate 30%, right? So you're not, you don't have a lot of edge in just buying that thing, even if you think it's oversold. And that's where I come in, right? Because it's all about optionality. The way you have edge... And the way that you can safely catch the falling knife, as you put it, is by doing option structures that give you a very fixed uh, cost basis, right? Fixed risk. And then you can maybe multiply that by factor of two to five, whatever it is, depending on the structure that you choose. But for me personally, that's how I like to catch the falling knife. Try and do call spreads or call ratio structures uh, where you buy one call option and you sell multiple calls behind it. In a, in a way where you you know how much you're spending. And if you get that bounce, then then you basically multiply your premium. That's, that's the way yeah. you play it. 
Well, let's talk that through because it's a really interesting point. Uh, I know the interesting thing about this show, of course, is we have people from uh, all different levels of sophistication coming to it. For people who are relatively new uh, to the options space, which is your specialty, who are trying to understand how they can potentially, uh, in certain structures, catch optionality in a way that gives them asymmetric potential for return, talk a little bit about what that looks like and how you do it. So so let's put some numbers on it then, right? Um... So you look at look at the um, S and P down at thirty nine thirty right now. So let's say you thought by next Friday we were going to get a bounce, right? Because we've got an expiry coming on Friday. You often do, you know, get get some shenanigans into expiry uh, where you, where you get a bit of um, burn off of downside puts that people are holding, and that that creates a rally because dealers have to buy futures against that. So that's a dynamic that you often see. So let's say that was your scenario, right? You thought the the S and P was going to go maybe back above four thousand towards maybe forty fifty forty one hundred. That was like your target area, okay? If you just go and buy a call option right now, four thousand strike call option for next week, that's going to be quite expensive, right? Because the implied vol on that option is quite high. Um, it's going to cost you like forty index points. It's going to cost you a percent. So even if you've got a rally to 40-40, which is 100 points or more from here, that's where you break even. And even if you got to 40-100, you only double your money, which in an option, you kind of want to do a bit better than that, basically, right? So um, so the way that I would do it is I would buy something like the 4,000 calls, but I would then sell one or maybe two of the 4,100 calls, okay? So they're 100 points higher. So the idea being that if we do get the bounce and we start to rally above 4,000 and then we go towards the option that I've sold, that option is burning away. It's evaporating because the time decay on it is so heavy. It's a short volatility position. And guess what's happening to implied volatility when the market goes up? That's coming back down, right? So the dynamics at play in that structure are long delta, which means you want the market to rally short vega which means you want vol to come down and then that vega that you get short increases as you rally so it's that correlation between the market move and the volatility move that you're playing basically right so that gives you a really nice asymmetric risk reward obviously if the market rips to 4200 in a heartbeat there's risk there in that structure because you've oversold that upside but you know you can tailor those risks to your risk tolerance, right? You can only do a call spread if you're not comfortable with that risk, or you can sell multiple calls if you are comfortable with that risk, and and that's something you need to practice with and and sort of learn by doing, basically. Yeah, it's great uh, to hear you talk about this and the way the pros think about it and do this. Uh, obviously, a lot of Greeks and their Vega uh, is a measure of sensitivity to the implied volatility uh, of the underlying. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. As we talk this through, you mentioned at the top of the show this macroeconomic backdrop. You talked about bond yields. Uh, I know, actually, I read a recent note of yours where you actually led with bond yields and what's happening in that space. Let's take a look at that chart, and perhaps you could walk us through it a bit. 
Yeah, so, that, you know, obviously we talked about the dynamic where equities were, was, it felt like equities are a bit of a cliff edge around that 4,000 area. If we got, if we got a, you know, if we got a real break of 4,000, then we could accelerate. And to be fair, we've done that, right? We, we got to around 3850-ish today. Um, so that's a fair, fair sort of move. And then we've obviously got the TLT rallying on the back of that and the bond, bond yields coming off. So the, type, the trade that I was doing, again, a similar trade to what we just described on the S&P, the trade that I got my subscribers to, well, that I showed my subscribers on Monday was a call spread on TLT. So I believe Raul, Raul generally looks at buying calls on TLT. I did a call spread because I didn't want to pay for that volatility premium because the vol is quite elevated, right? So I did a July 120, 130 call spread as a way to play a rally in TLT, Yeah. So that, that was kind of the trade I was looking at. And like, like I say, it was because there was a bit of speculative shorts being built up in the bond market. Uh, the technicals were showing very, very oversold in bonds. There was also a bullish divergence there. If you look at technical indicators, the divergence is where you have lows in price, but you don't have lows in momentum. And so then you have a bullish signal there from, from, from a technical perspective. Um, and then, you know, inflation swaps were rolling over a little bit. There was a long-term support level on TLT. For me, it was a confluence of factors that suggested that it was worth taking a trade on in TLT for a bounce, basically, right? So, and, that, and that's what I did. Yeah. By the way, apologies for those of you hearing the ambulance in the background and welcome to New York City. Uh, <laughs> listen, I just wanted to touch on something you mentioned. You talked about TLT. Uh, I know that you and I were talking earlier at the beginning of the show off camera about Rao's insights on this. I want you to take a look at this clip. You know, when we have conversations here on Real Vision Daily Briefing, we often talk about how the shows are available on the Essential Plus and Pro tiers. Today, a special treat, a preview uh, of something that Rao talked about on a flash macro update on the Pro tier uh, here on Real Vision. Let's take a look at that clip. My view is that the economy is plummeting into recession. I think economic growth has evaporated. The S&P year-on-year rate of change is now fully pricing in a recession. We're seeing that across the entire um, forward-looking indicators that growth is imploding. This is what I've been expecting. I've been setting all of you up in Macro Insiders for a period of time. And as you know, my framework changed. So the downside of equities is not my general choice. My choice is the upside of equities that comes out of the low of this, which has been a structural framework change of mine. But here we are in the phase that I've been looking for and waiting for. We're not fully through it yet. That phase is I've been expecting that equity markets go into the meltdown in the final kind of fear phase. That fear phase starts pricing in the full recession. At that point, bond yields stop rising. And bonds are the truth, as I keep saying. And what that means is bond yields will start pricing out Fed hikes and saying, well, enough is enough. Last three days, it's early to say, but it looks like it's happened. The bond trade is starting to play out. So I think this starts to get very interesting. I would like to add bonds as a trade recommendation just by TLT. Um, I will look further um, when I write the piece whether we can add some euro dollars. The euro dollar call trade won't work like it did in 2018-19 because volatility is too high. So the option price only give kind of three for one risk reward. So we're probably going to have to use futures. We're going to have to use that kind of stuff to get the kind of returns that we want out of it. But let's just start with the TLT position for one. Uh, we can probably buy some calls. Again, I need some time on the weekend to go through this. I'm too rushed right now. But look, dip your toe in the water. Bond yields should fall very sharply as people start to price out inflation. 
The next part of this equation is the oil price, I think, will break. When it breaks 96, then the inflation fears are out and gone, and that's going to give the central banks room to maneuver. So we're all talking about TLT, which we just covered here on this show, and obviously also sobering words uh, about recession risk. Uh, all this and more, we should say, on the Real Vision Pro tier. Uh, Imran, uh, we were talking a little bit off camera about how you largely agreed with Rao's points. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've I've been sitting on my hands a bit in terms of getting too long bonds, right? But, you know, a lot, a lot of very smart macro analysts around us are, are thinking that we're going to head into a bit more of a deflationary regime. Um, Darius Dale was on yesterday, I believe, right, saying, saying that. And and you're in that regime, you want to have some fixed income. But had you bought fixed income too early, you've taken quite a big drawdown on that, right? So like the key has been that because inflation has been high, let's say above 5% or whatever, the correlation between bonds and equities has been quite heavy. And what I believe is going to happen is that correlation is going to flip back around the other way as growth rolls over. And, and that's why I've dipped my toes in via call spreads on TLT right now. I've also bought call spreads on um, euro dollar futures out to the end of the year. Um, and and those trades, yeah, are basically playing the idea that growth's going to roll over, the Fed's going to have to slow down, or it's, it's going to get priced into the bond market that the terminal rates are going to have to be lower again, basically, right? So I think that I like that trade. Um, I haven't, like I say, bought a load of outright TLTs because there may still be one last leg down there if these inflation prints take stubbornly long time to come down. But the way commodities are going, and they are a lead indicator for inflation, um, it suggests that, yeah, in, in inflation is starting to top out. Yeah. So let's shift gears here a little bit. We teased it at the top of the show. Carnage right now in the crypto space, in the digital asset space. Give us a little bit of a framework for how you think about where we are big picture. Yeah, so, so crypto, you know, I've been saying this in my Crypto Insight videos for months, right? Crypto wasn't going to escape the risk asset sell-off, okay? And people who thought it was some kind of hedge or whatever are kind of kidding themselves, right? Um, it was a function of liquidity. Um, you know, there was a lot of easy money that pumped up these crypto markets. And as that easy money comes out, crypto goes down with it, right? And we've seen that. Now, that's not to say that I'm not a long-term believer in crypto. And I do think that certainly the big cap cryptos like your Bitcoins, Ethereum, Solanas are likely to stick around, right? It's just that they're highly volatile and they can drop by 70, 80% before they decide to go back up again, okay? So until we think risk assets have bottomed out, which I suspect happens sometime in the summer, right? Cryptos are still massively at risk, right? The correlation between NASDAQ and Bitcoin has been 90 to 100%. Um, that's not suddenly going to change. So if you think the ultimate resolution of this cycle before we get a dovish pivot out of the Fed is S&P somewhere in the mid 3000s or even lower, which is another 10% at least, then crypto is not going to escape that. And then we had the obviously the, idi the idiosyncratic risk in crypto of Terra and Luna going pop. And that's kind of catalyzed this real fast drawdown, right? But crypto was going down anyway, in line with the market. It just got a bit of an acceleration recently. Right. Yeah, you know, there's there's so much happening right now. And I'm, I'm looking at my screen and just following prices because uh, these are moving so quickly that you can't possibly uh, get them printed ahead of time. But look, he, he, you know, 
here's the reality. We've seen, as you say, all of these idiosyncratic risks. We've seen things happening in the sort of on the bleeding edge where really cool stuff is happening in the uh, DeFi space, in the Web3 space. We've seen some prominent failures there. Uh, right now, I'm looking at, uh, at Terra uh, Luna just absolutely destroyed, down 97%. Uh, strangely, uh, Terra USD UST. This is uh, this is the Terra USD pair traded under UST. Uh, is not at zero yet. It's uh, it's down to about uh, it's down to about forty two cents. Um, absolute, you know, just misery and carnage uh, everywhere you turn. Bitcoin, interestingly enough, you could say uh, the network continuing to function precisely as it was designed to. No flaws, uh, no exploits. But you know, you've gotten whacked. Uh, on a price action basis, trading now around 28530 So lots of things happening in this space. And to your point, you know, there was this narrative uh, that people particularly uh, who are great uh, sort of passionate fans and supporters of this space have said for a very long time, which is, hey, look, Bitcoin is going to be this off-the-grid asset. It's going to be the alternative to the traditional uh, macro financial space. And exactly as you said, basically the correlation goes to 90% uh, with NASDAQ 100, NASDAQ composite, pick your poison, uh, correlated, not uncorrelated. Yeah, I think it's partly due to the fact that so much professional money is coming to the space, right? So we all run portfolios, it's become part of the macro portfolio, and you have to size it and trade it like a correlated asset. And that's kind of what's happening, right? That's that's the way portfolio managers are treating it. But that's not to say, like I say, the long term, there are long term reasons to be bullish the space. It's just that you need to understand what it can do to you. And so don't take leverage, um, have a long-term game plan. And if you understand options or you want to lo- understand options, come to me and I'll show you how to hedge it basically, right? That's, that's what I do. Yeah. By the way, I should say, we've got questions just flying in and I wanted to get to some of these uh, because there's some really good ones here. Uh, so this is this is a, a great question from Jast. This one comes to us from the exchange. This is Real Vision's internal social network. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, I'd uh, I'd advise you to take a look at the exchange if you're passionate about Real Vision content. Uh, and this really sort of cuts to the nub of it. And it is after five consecutive weeks going down so badly, is there any way, any indicator that can tell us how much is already priced in? I mean, that's the that's the multi-trillion dollar question, isn't it? I mean. Uh- I saw the indicator that I like to look at a lot is short term skew in in crypto. Uh, Let me just break down what that means. So so you have a volatility surface. So you have at the money volatility, which is the volatility for options with strikes where the market is now. So on crypto and Bitcoin, that will be 28,000. But then you have different strike options. So you have downside strikes, which are generally put strikes that people look at. So something like the 20,000 puts. You could look at the implied vol on those and you could compare that to maybe something like the 40,000 calls, which are the upside strike. And the difference between the volatility on the calls and puts is what we call skew, right? And the reason that's important is because it gives you a feel for where the supply and demand is, right? So if all the implied volatility is traded at the same level, then it would show that there's no imbalance, right? There is uh, people are indifferent between buying calls and puts and they see the tail risk and the gap risk in the market to be equal on either side, right? If, however, there's a skew to one side, then it's telling you that market participants are fearful of the market moving a certain way. And right now that skews very much to the put side. And it has been for a while because of the correlation to equities that Bitcoin has had, the fact that skew exists to the downside in equities all the time anyway, 
that started to feed through into crypto. But now it's really accelerated with what's happened in the last week. And it's got so extreme, it's got to levels that it was last May, June, when crypto was puking, when China was exiting crypto, right? So that's how far it's got. And that's about as far as it goes in terms of how, how it can stretch for the puts. So for me, I actually see that as quite a strong short-term indicator that things have gone too far. Max fear is being priced into the downside. Uh, Brian, I think you've got the chart on that. And uh, and I see that as a, at least the short-term indicator, maybe a week or two, that we need to have a bit of stabilization. And make, And in crypto, it's come down so far that a 20% rally on crypto and we're still massively down, right? So... I think a 10 to 20% bounce in the short term on the back of the fact that SKU has just gone to the moon. And then we go back to what we were doing, which is tracking equities, which is probably lower, if I'm honest, right? And, and so I don't think we've seen the bottom yet. For me, I'm working on the framework that we could go as low as 20K in Bitcoin. But I'd be surprised if we don't see 32, 33K before that, basically. Yeah, there's also talk of support at the 27,000 level uh, if you read uh, some of the uh, the posts uh, and if you're reading Twitter. Uh, so obviously something that we'll have to wait and see where that support level is. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Here's a great question. Uh, this one comes to us from TC. This is from the Real Vision website. Uh, TC obviously is a sophisticated uh, investor. I'm going to do a little bit of translating here. Uh, the question is, uh, what's Imran's view on SPX OpEx distribution. This is S&P 500 options expiry distribution. Uh, and he specifically calls out June OpEx, which he believes looks heavy versus May OpEx. Any thoughts there, Emlyn? I mean, June's a quarterly expiry, so it's gonna be heavy in terms of like open interest and stuff like that. That's just kind of regular run of the mill. Um, I mean, there's if you're, if you're talking about June quarterlies, that's gonna include that big JP Morgan trade. And I, and I can't remember off the top of my head where the strikes are on that, but that's a trade that often kind of distorts the market and creates some kind of pinning in the option space. But in general, like the big open interest right now is around that 4,000 area. And, you know, it's, it's a good question because I wanted to talk about this topic where we've seen a bleed down in the S&P of about 5%. VIX has gone nowhere, basically, right? Or if anything, right. it's gone lower. And so, the, so that's the VIX going lower, which is unusual anyway when the market goes down. But what that really means is... Do we have a chart on this, by the way? I think Brian's got one, right? Um, yeah, I feel like we might. Yeah, the, but what it means is the fixed strike volatility, which means the implied vol for a particular strike option has got absolutely decimated in the face of this sell-off. And that's quite unusual, right? And, and it's not like the market hasn't been moving as well. Like if the market was really grinding down and not realizing, then you could understand that. But the fact that vols so offered in the face of a market breaking through 4,000 and all the macro stuff going on, that's quite surprising. And the only way I can rationalize that is that a lot of these big open interests around these 4,000 area is actually dealers that are long options because clients have bought put spreads, right? Clients 
you know, in March, when Russia, Ukraine kicked off, volatility had a spike. So like volatility in the 25 to 30 region is not something we have not seen, right? We've seen it for a large part of this year. So what happens is when clients need to put on hedges, they look at the absolute level of vol and they say, is it cheap or expensive? If it's cheap, they buy puts. If it's expensive, they buy put spreads. When they buy put spreads, that means they buy one option and then they sell an option behind it, right? The chances are they bought options struck at 4,400 and they sold options struck at 4,000. And now we've gone down to those options basically, right? So dealers are all sitting there, probably long those strikes. That's the only way I can rationalize the fact that the vol's not performing, right? And, and that's the dynamic we're in at the moment, right? So what I'm interested to see is if markets kind of hold these levels, maybe even have a little pop into May expiry next week, and then when those long strikes disappear, then there's more fragility again, and the market can accelerate to the downside and do what we expect it to do, and the VIX can pop again, basically, right? And that, that's kind of, for me, that's how, that's my playbook and how I envisage the moves kind of playing out over the next few weeks. Great question from TC and a great detailed answer. It's always great when the guests, uh, when, excuse me, the uh, audience asks a question that the guests uh, would wanted to talk about anyway. So a perfect question. Thanks again, TC. Uh, let's see if we can hit two questions here real quick before we wrap up. Here's one that comes to us from Douglas. This one's from YouTube. Uh, welcome, Douglas. Uh, and the question, while well, the question has a little bit of a presupposition in it, but curious to hear what your thoughts are. Uh, what does the Fed do when bond yields crash? What does the Fed do when bond yields crash? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny like bond yields are just doing all the work for the fed at the moment it seems right you know and this is again this is something right. raul mentions the tightening's yeah. already happened when when the when the race market prices in 10 11 hikes job done right and then all of a sudden risk assets then reflect that and they're going to start to price the hikes back out again and the fed will end up not having to do as much as we thought it was going to have to do so bond yields are kind of I've always said, I say this to my subscribers that the Fed just does what it's told by the rates market most of the time, right? <laughs> and 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 I, I continue to believe that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, final question, and it's one that uh, is a good one to, and a good one to end on. I think uh, this one comes to us from John A. This is from the Real Vision site, and the question is: uh, Imran comments on DXY one hundred four spot eight five. Uh, so a little bit of context. This is dollar index uh, DXY, and we're seeing it right now. Uh, at multi-year highs. Thoughts on where we are right now on dollar index and its broader significance. I know that there was a, a chart in your deck uh, from the Macro Insight Report, the weekly Macro Insight Report uh, from Options Insight. Thoughts about the dollar uh, at oh, nearly 105 as we have this conversation. Ma massive level in the dollar. I've been leaning, I've been using calls on the dollar as, as a macro hedge. Um, I put those on about a month ago or maybe a bit longer, I can't remember, but I had some calls on dollar yen. I had some puts on euro dollar. They did, obviously did well. I've taken profit on a third of that position, but they were six month options. And the reason I use six month options is because, well, whilst the front end of the vol curve had popped in FX, the middle hadn't really done much. And FX moves tend to take quite a long time to play out. So when FX goes, it can really trend for a long period of time. And so you don't want to buy too short dated options in FX because they end up just expiring too soon and you really get your proper move over a series of months. So my idea was, you know, if the dollar really wants to go, that it can go a long way. And we are at crazy important levels, right? So 130 on dollar yen was massive. We popped our head through it and obviously rejected on the back of the bond yields because there's very high correlation between bond yields and, and dollar yen right now because of what the BOJ is doing. 
Um, Euro dollar though is cracking at one one oh three one oh three and a half right now. That's an enormous level on the long term chart. If it breaks one oh three, then it opens up the road to point nine in euro. And and even though the ECB are doing their best to jawbone rates, uh, jawbone uh, this thing and say that they're going to hike rates, market's not buying it basically, right? Market's saying you're not going to be able to because your economy's screwed, right? So for a number of reasons. So I think euros at a very critical juncture right now. I have taken some profit on dollar calls because we are at this place. But yeah, I mean, it, it, if it if it breaks from this point, there's there's a lot of room for the dollar to go again, and that's not going to be good for risk assets overall. And I think something I mentioned in my macro insight report was that over the last year or so, commodities and the dollar have gone up together, which is very rare. Normally, right. they have negative correlation, right? Because commodities are priced in dollars essentially. But you've had the supply chain issues in commodities really driving that that market higher, and not caring that the dollar's rallying. Over the last two weeks, that has changed. Commodities have obviously started to roll over. They don't like the dollar strength. Um, so the, the, the wrecking ball that is the dollar is starting to actually break stuff. And I think the more it goes from here, the more marginal impact it actually will have. So we seem to have reached that tipping point. Yeah, Imran, hell of a show. Great having you on. We have to have you back again. Really enjoyed this one. Uh, as we wrap up here, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our audience with. Um, yeah, key takeaways. Well, you know, we've been defensive um, for good reason. Liquidity is coming out of this market. A um, lot of signs that growth is kind of rolling over. You need to stay defensive. Um, use optionality if you want to dip your toes in and try and play, play these short squeezes. Bear markets are notorious for violent squeezes. Don't let those squeezes puff you in into thinking that the bear market's over. Just use optionality. Stay nimble. And kind of, um, yeah, just trade what's in front of you, basically. Don't don't get married to positions. Yeah, well said. Uh, by the way, Imran, I understand you're doing an event. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I run, obviously, I run Options Insight, which is a training company where I teach people about options. That's what I do. That's what I've done for 20 years. Um, and I run boot camps every two or three months, uh, live on Zoom, basically. Uh, and my latest boot camp that's coming up in, my, my next one coming up in July, I've got a special guest on there. That is the... Uh, the legend that is Darius Dale, um, and he's going to come on as a, as a guest student. Um, and the idea is that, you know, himself and 42 macro subscribers can come. Anyone else can come as well. But, you know, 42 macro subscribers will, will get a little bit of incentive there uh, as he's coming. And uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to ask more questions than I've ever been asked before in my life on a boot camp. Right. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I love hearing the Real Vision Network expanding. Uh, Imran, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks again for watching, everyone. Uh, tomorrow, we'll be back with Warren Pies. It's a really complicated world out there. We've got massive inflation, recession fears, war in Europe, COVID, China issues. What the hell's happening? Everyone's got an opinion. But who's right? Who's wrong? As co-founder of Real Vision, I've got my own view. But maybe I'm wrong, too. And I want to go and find out more from real experts, real in-depth analysis. And I've hand-chosen my experts for this two-week journey of discovery in global recession. Is everyone wrong? I've chosen people like Peter Zihan to talk to him about geopolitics, David Rosenberg about the economy, and Pierre Andran, the world's most famous energy trader, about how to navigate the oil markets and where it's all going. This starts on May the 2nd. 
and I'm going to learn so much about what really is going on and how to best navigate it. Yes, not everybody's going to be saying the same thing, but it's going to allow me to piece together an investment framework to navigate these complicated times. Now, normally we give you seven day trial for one dollar, but because this is so important for all of you, and I think it's one of the most important pieces of content we've ever done, we're extending that free trial for two weeks for one dollar. So you get the entire campaign of all of these great minds. And it's only one dollar for all of this. So just go to realvision.com forward slash global recession to find out more and join me as I try and figure out what the hell's going on. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.